0: Wow, I'm so glad to be in church today. Aren't you glad to be in church today? Amazing. I love uh, that we are going to be planting in Acts for a few weeks together, so it gives everybody a chance to catch up. So if you didn't know and you just arrived, we're going to be journeying through the book of Acts under the header, powerful. And the idea, so everybody's on the same page, is that as a result of where we're going together, that all of us will move from... A powerless life to a powerful life. That's the hope. So whatever it is that you're feeling, I don't have the energy, the power, the resource to do X, Y, or Z or to become whatever it is that you're wanting to become. The hope of this series is is that somewhere along the way, you'll realize that there is a power supply for you in life to be all that God has created you to be. And the hope of God is that your life will not be powerless but that your life will be powerful. I think when we say that, somebody's always looking at the guy next to them or the person in the row in front of them, but I want God to give us the the sense that we can all receive that hope today for whatever it is that you're facing and whatever it is that God wants you to be facing in life. He is committed to giving us the resources that we need to become everything He wants us to become. But last week we talked about how the power is connected to purpose. And so I want to back up just a little bit in case you missed the intro. We might do this for a few weeks until everybody gets on board or gets sick of it, one or the other. But I'd love for us just to recap together uh, the overarching themes that we're talking about in Acts. We're, We're using a word picture for Acts, and it's a flaming arrow. So that what we're saying is what we see in Acts as the spirit arrives and the mission of the gospel goes forward, it looks like a flaming arrow. And you say, well, what's the arrow? Well, the arrow is the church. That's you and me being sent to the four corners of the world. The tip of the point of the arrow is the authority of Jesus. In other words, we move in life by the name and the power of Jesus. Jesus. The whole tip on the arrow is the gospel, so that's what's in our mouths. We move to proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we're the shaft of the arrow, the point, the authority of Jesus. The tip is the gospel of Jesus. The feathers on the back are the word of God stabilizing our flight. But here's the thing, the Holy Spirit of God lights the arrow on fire. So it's not just an arrow moving through the world, it is a flaming arrow moving through the world. And it's launched by the bow of the sovereign power in the Spirit of God. So where you and I could do something, God can do way more, and he can launch us to the four corners of this city and to the ends of the earth. The idea being when we land, when the church lands, when you land, when I land, wildfire of the gospel begins to spread wherever we are. And so we have four big overarching ideas. And the first one is this, in Acts we see the authority of Jesus. And so all through the book of Acts we're going to see this idea, Jesus is Lord. It's not a common idea so much anymore. Now Jesus is my savior or Jesus is my hope or Jesus is my life, but he's also and preeminently the Lord of all. We're going to see that again today and we're going to see it on all the pages of the book of Acts. The second thing that we're seeing is a big overarching idea is that we have an assignment you have an assignment. So you have a job, you have a family, you have responsibility, you have class, you have all those things, but we also have an overarching assignment and it is that we would carry the name of Jesus to the world. But we can't do that in our own strength, in our own power. And so we have assistance. And the assistance we have is the Holy Spirit of God in us to equip and enable us to fulfill the assignment that God has given us. And then lastly, this overarching idea, and we're going to land there in just a few moments, is assimilation. And assimilation simply means that the gospel is powerful enough... To bring all of us from all of our walks of life, globally speaking, together as a family called the church by the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. We talked early that there are two potential cul-de-sacs every church faces. We at Passion City Church are not exempt and you're not exempt individually. But Acts is going to try to blow these cul-de-sacs up in our lives and lead us forward and not into a continuously looping circle. The first cul-de-sac is simply this, that we would try to do what God has asked us to do in our own strength. And I couldn't encourage you strongly enough to go back and watch the message from last week's gathering. If you missed that message, honestly, and, that, you know, I, we don't get anything for you going and watching the message. It's not like, you know, that there's a, a credit to us when you do that. But for your own sake, I, I would carve out the time to go and sit with that message because I believe it's a watershed for our church. I know it is a watershed message for our church, and I believe it's a watershed message for your life. And it speaks to this idea that god size mission can't be done in human size strength. And that's the weight that a lot of us are bearing even today. And God is saying that's a cul-de-sac a lot of people fall into. They, they hear from God, they understand God, but then they try to run too fast and do what God has asked them to do in their own power. The second potential cul-de-sac is that we would keep it all to ourselves. But the arrow is going to keep reminding us that it's not a campfire, it's a flaming arrow. And so we talked last week about whether or not we're more excited that the Holy Spirit has come. Are we equally as excited that the gospel now in the power of the Holy Spirit can go? And we want to be on both sides of that equation. And then we talked about some outcomes, touch on them very briefly. What would we hope for at the end of the series, and again, I just want to say we're not looking for a lot of uh, you know information. We're looking for heart transformation, and these would be a few of the outcomes. One would be that we would all go. We would all get on board with the mission of Acts and write ourselves by our obedience and surrender into the story of Acts. So it wouldn't just be that they went and spread the gospel, but you would write your family's story in and say, "And we went and shared the gospel." So one outcome is that all of us will go. A sub-outcome under that is that some will go far. And we're believing, I'm believing, our pastors are believing that God's going to catapult some people from our church because of this series. And to the to the world, places you don't know, people you don't know, cities you don't know. You're going to be thinking about this day for a long, long time in your life and I love that. We'll we'll support you. We'll pray for you. We'll maybe send some people along to to walk alongside you at some point along the way, but the conversation will always be it was the powerful series where the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to see that God had a calling for our family. It wasn't Atlanta, it wasn't uh, Lawrenceville, it wasn't Roswell. It was some place in the world and we didn't go for a day or a week or a month. We packed up and went with our lives to take the story of Jesus to the world. Second potential outcome for us in the series would be um, that we would have confidence and that we'd have courage in an unhinged world. And, you know, that's not very relevant to today, but hopefully one day in America we'll realize that the Spirit of God, that, uh, I guess maybe yeah you get it, um, this is what we need. We, we need to be marked by the confidence and the courage of the Spirit of God in these days. These are the days that we need to look different, sound different, walk different, act different from everybody else in this world. A third outcome for us is that we would be rooted and sent out, and so we're gonna land again today in this idea that God's purpose and plan for your life is not just to show up at church, it's to be rooted in a church so that you can be sent out from a church, a church that's not just about what we believe, but is about what we do, how we live, the way we walk in life. And so we're kind of in the midst of all this in chapter two, and everything we've just said is going to be underscored again, but We're going to take a swing at finishing chapter two today, because I'm realizing the summer's going by pretty quickly, and um, we could stay in Acts chapter two for the rest of the summer, honestly. But I want you just to lean in with me, if you will, as we look at the Spirit arriving and the gospel going. Last week, we talked mostly about the Spirit arriving, who He is, how He came, what He did, the results of Him coming. And how that looks in our lives, but I want you to see some of the outcomes because three key things happen in this chapter. The Holy Spirit arrived. The promised Spirit of God arrived. Number one, the second thing that happened was immediately the gospel was preached. So when the Holy Spirit shows up, you can count on this happening. The story of Jesus is gonna be proclaimed when the Holy Spirit is on the scene. So day one, moment one, instance one, the Spirit of God falls on people, and they immediately begin, under the power of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the gospel in language that languages that they could not speak up to that moment. You say, well why did God choose to do that? Because there were Jews from all over the world in town for this festival season around Pentecost And in this moment, God knew that he could reach the entire world in one moment by giving utterance to people in the power of the Spirit. And so we showed on this map last week all the regions of the known world at the time that are mentioned in Acts chapter 2. So we get the power of the Spirit and amazing geography right in one moment. So the spirit arrives, the gospel is preached, number two. And the third thing that happens is the church is born. So the spirit comes, the gospel is preached, the church is born. So how does it work in Acts? The spirit comes, the gospel is proclaimed, and the church is born. How would it work in your life and in my life? The Holy Spirit comes, the gospel is proclaimed, and the church is built because it's already born. So what would that look like in your neighborhood, in your business, and? In your life story, it would look like the Spirit of God invading your life. Eventually, Jesus is going to be proclaimed through your life. And when that happens, the church is going to continue to be built and to continue to advance because the Spirit is coming, the gospel is preached, and whenever the gospel is preached, the church is born, and when the church is born, strengthened, built up, and grows, then that church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, will do what? Continue to proclaim the story of Jesus so that the church will be built up even more so that then that church, under the authority of Jesus, can rise up into the assignment that we've been given. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can then see more and more people come to life and join this beautiful family called the church. So we talked last week about the Spirit coming. Now we look at the gospel being proclaimed. And so jumping into verse 14, and depends on which gathering you were at last week, the 930 got a little different than the 1145. So sorry about that, but some things change in life. And um, they got a little bit more of what we're going to get right now for the 930. But when all of this happened, people were perplexed and were staring at the moment going, what is going on? Some people were heckling, other people were jeering, and most people were just trying to figure out what was going on. And into this moment of all these people hearing the gospel, the wonders of God proclaimed in their various languages, Peter stands up to speak. And so before the gospel, we get an explanation. And I want you to see that in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Now that's an important little footnote for this, this message that we're gonna get because the audience of this message was the Jewish people. So this message was intended to To someone with a Jewish mindset who knew the promise, had followed the prophets, had heard the story of God's hope for the world, and now here they are seeing this incredible outpouring of God's spirit with their own eyes. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Now, that's a big setup for whatever's coming next. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, and now he's just quoting the prophet from hundreds of years before. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even... On my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire, and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Now that sounds like a prophet, right? The prophet always is going to point us to the terminal point of life. The prophet is always going to say, hey, it's not all about today. It's not all about this moment. It's not all about how we feel about the way we want to live. There is a moment coming, and Joel calls it the great moment and glorious day of the lord now if you know jesus it is a great and glorious day if you don't know jesus it is also a great and glorious day but the greatness of god and the glory of god in that day are more overwhelming than anything we've ever seen or imagined in our lives and so the prophet leads us to the brink of the arrival of jesus I love this thought today, especially in these moments we're in in our nation. Because ultimately, ultimately, peace is going to come when Jesus comes. We're going to be put back together when Jesus comes. Life's going to be the way it's supposed to be when Jesus comes. So we're working for justice on earth. We're seeking to be peacemakers on earth, but we also are looking for a day when our king is coming and when our king creates a new heaven and a new earth and puts things the way God intended them to be. And a lot of what we feel in these days is a longing for our savior to arrive for that great and coming day of the Lord where all injustice will be righted. And where what God has purposed and planned for all humanity will come to pass before our eyes. And given that moment, Joel caps his message with this. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now here's what's interesting about this little section to me, the explanation of the Spirit coming, is that most people want to drift away from the Holy Spirit and try to ignore Him, or they want to really focus on part of this explanation and say, wow, in the last days, sons and daughters are gonna prophesy. I can't wait till the sons and daughters prophesy. Spirit arrives, sons and daughters are gonna prophesy. But you have to understand the context of Acts, which is authority, assignment, assistance, and assimilation. So Joel gives it to us in one bite. The sons and daughters will all prophesy. The the young and the old are gonna be a part of what God is doing. The male and female are gonna be a part of what God is doing. The Spirit of God is gonna come on all the people of God and empower all the people. The Spirit of God's gonna invade all the people and immerse all the people in kingdom power and kingdom authority. The Spirit of God is gonna come and change us from who we normally are to who God knows we can be. This is the promise of Joel. But why? So that then we can prophesy that time is ticking down to the great and glorious day of the Lord. So that we can proclaim a story by which in that day everyone who's called on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the Spirit hasn't arrived just so that we can walk around exercising the gift of prophecy. The Spirit has arrived so that we can proclaim boldly the story of Jesus to the world. So that when the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives, we'll be a part of a company of people who have called on the name of the Lord. So you get all of Acts in the explanation. But then Peter says, now I'd like to give a bigger message. And so here comes part two of chapter two. We have the Holy Spirit arrival. Now we have the gospel preached. It says in verse 22, men of Israel, listen To this. Now he's already said, Listen and let me explain this. Listen carefully. And again he says, Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put Jesus to death by nailing him to the cross. But God, whenever there's a but God, just say, get ready, because this is the story of the gospel. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. What a great gospel. It's the first time these people have ever heard the gospel. Can you imagine how amazing that is? These people have heard the prophets. They know the law. They have a history of waiting for a Messiah now in a Uh, catalytic moment the Holy Spirit arrives people start talking to them in their own languages but then Peter stands up and addresses the whole crowd and he says let me explain what just happened here in Jerusalem just a few days ago. And what he explains is pretty powerful because in this message that we're going to see, a few things are highlighted. The first one is this, that Jesus is God's man for God's purpose at God's time. See, these Jews knew who Jesus was. They, they knew about the feeding of the 5,000. They'd heard the miracles. They'd heard about the crucifixion. They just didn't know what it meant. They didn't really know if he was the Messiah. And if he was the Messiah, why did he end up dead? And Peter stands in their midst and he says, Jesus isn't just somebody, not just a prophet. He's God's man for God's time and God's purpose. He's, he also highlights the sovereign power of God over all things. This is one of the most powerful and beautiful sovereign passages in all of Scripture. It, it leads us again into the mystery. Does God decide everything or do we have a choice in things? Is God predestining everything to happen or do we have a free will and can we somehow respond out of our heart to God? And the answer in this text is yes, yes under the sovereign plan of God. Look at the two things that happen. In verse 23, Jesus was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And so he's highlighting the sovereign plan of God through all of history. He said, when Jesus arrived to you, the Jews, now remember the audience, the Jews, who killed Jesus, the Jews. You're like, well, the Romans actually did the crucifying, but they did all of this from the instigation of the Jewish religious leaders of the day. And so when you gather a group of Jews in this moment, you're talking to the people whose leaders and authorities actually carried out the crucifixion of Jesus. And he says, he was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. That means God is in control. But then he says, but you were involved. God handed him over, (laughs) but you, with the help of wicked men, there come the Romans, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So God was in control, but their choices played into God's plan. He said, but ultimately, here is the victory. And he starts talking about authority. That's our, one of our arcs for this book. He says, but God raised Jesus from the dead. I love this text. Freeing Jesus from the agony of death Because it was impossible. Can you say that? It was what? Impossible. What was it? Impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Death had a hold on him, but death couldn't keep its hold on him. See, it wasn't that he was exempt from death. Death had a grip on Jesus, but death couldn't keep its grip on Jesus. And the power of God began to, pry off the grip of death when he called up Jesus and raised him up from the dead. So Jesus is God's man for God's purpose in God's time. But the second theme of this message is that the resurrection is the proof of Jesus' authority. So we go into this little sidebar, if you will, of David And Peter immediately brings David into the message. It's good preaching because he's preaching to Jewish people. And Jewish people don't want to know that something new has happened. They want to know that something old and promised has happened. And so he reaches back to the Psalms and he begins to speak from Psalm 16. And this is what he says. David said about Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me. So now he's saying how Jesus saw it at the end of the day. Because he is at my right hand, I'll not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope. Because you have not abandoned me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Now, Jesus did, in fact, die, but he didn't decay. See, that's what the tomb was for. The tomb was temporary. You died, they put you in a tomb until you could decay. They came back, collected your bones, and put them in a small box and buried it in a smaller place. The tomb was the place of decay. And so they got Jesus to the tomb, but Jesus got out of the tomb before the decay happened because it was promised through the psalmist hundreds of years before, my Holy One is not going to undergo decay. So all this is weaving together in the mind of a Jewish listener. He says again about him, you've made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And so then he clarifies, what did David mean? Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. So he did, in fact, undergo decay So we must not have been talking about himself. He must have been talking about someone else. That is Jesus. But he was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Jesus being a descendant of David. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, And we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he, Jesus, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So he links the resurrection of Jesus to the releasing of the Holy Spirit. Jesus ascended, the spirit descended, Jesus rising in authority, the spirit rising in power to assist us in our assignment. And then he says in verse 34, for David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So again, he's saying Jesus now is sitting in the place Where the enemies of God will be made a footstool to our Lord. So then he concludes, big finish. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Man, that's a finish to a message right there. Let all of Israel be assured of this. Don't anybody mistake this. We got Jews from all over the known world in here right now. Let everybody be clear on this. This Jesus who you crucified, God made both Lord and Christ. So we see this man, Jesus, God's man for God's purpose in God's time. We see the resurrection from the dead as the proof of the authority of Jesus. But we also see Jesus as both Savior and Lord, Lord and Christ, Lord meaning owner and master, Christ meaning Messiah. And we want to take half of that equation most of the time, right? We want the Christ side, the Messiah side, the Savior side, but Peter said, no, make no mistake, all of you, God made Jesus master of all and owner of all and savior of all. And so the end of the message for you and me today is a dual response to Jesus. It's not just simply, do I not wanna spend eternity separated from God and do I want forgiveness and grace in my life? It's do you recognize That Jesus is the one who was foretold from centuries before that he would be dead and he would be buried, but he would not undergo decay. And Jesus is alive today, raised up from the dead by the power of God. He is ruling and reigning and he is making all of his enemies a footstool to him. So he's not negotiating simply a forgiveness deal today. He's offering a dual agreement today. I want to be both Lord and Christ in your life. And if you split Lord and Christ, you, you take away the power of the Holy Spirit. If you say, well, I love Jesus as Savior. I love Jesus as sin forgiver. I love Jesus as shame eraser. I love Jesus as guilt destroyer. I love all that and need all that. But you don't onboard Jesus as pilot, master owner, leader, and Lord, you push away the power because the power comes with the purpose. It's not a la carte in the kingdom of God. And so you don't go down and pick the menu items that fit your particular taste on a given day. Peter ends and says, so Jesus, the same Jesus you crucified, well, guess what? God made him Lord and Christ The end. And, And immediately, people's hearts were pierced. Why? Because it was a great speech. Why? Because it was awesome information. Why? Because it was true. I believe their hearts were pierced because Peter was full of the Holy Spirit of God. And he proclaimed the truth of the gospel in the power of the Spirit. And when he did, it was like a dagger going into the hearts of the people. And we count on that here. We count on that here every time we gather It's not about, well, someone went to seminary. Somebody is a good speaker. Somebody is taking some preaching classes. Somebody knows enough about Scripture to organize it into a way that we can understand. Somebody's going to come and try to wrap some stories around it or make it relatable or tangible in some way. There's going to be something visual that we can all understand. And when we do that, man, people's lives are going to be blown up by the power of God. No, we come knowing it is truth, but it's Holy Spirit breath on a page truth. It is the gospel and the gospel saves, but it is the spirit empowered proclamation of the gospel that can take the voice of one person and translate it into thousands of people's stories. It's the power of the gospel to rise up and then the work of the Spirit to land on somebody in row 40 back here or seat 18 over here and all of a sudden it seems like time stops and everybody else is out of the equation and you're the only person in the room and God has come and God has landed and God is speaking and God is opening eyes and opening ears and opening understanding and it's like revelation is happening. I'm getting it. I understand it. I see it. It makes sense to me and I gotta turn. I gotta change. I gotta make decisions i got to regroup. i got to start over. i got to bow down. I've got to say to God, have mercy on me. This is the work of the Spirit, not just simply the result of preaching. And so when we come into this house, you better believe we're praying for the power of the Spirit to ignite the truth of the gospel. And believing every single time we gather that at some point a knife is going to go in our heart, she say, well, man, that's not, you know, that's not really why we come to church, Louie. Maybe you're thinking that's awesome. But we're not really coming every time and riding that shuttle down here all the way going, man, I can't wait till God just sticks a knife in my heart today. That's going to be awesome. Come on, kids, let's drive an hour and sit in traffic and ride a shuttle and stand in a line and pack in and get stabbed. That <laughs> people keep coming you know why? Because every one of us in this room has a heart condition. And God is a masterful surgeon. And he cuts right through the, the you know what. And he cuts right into our heart. And he says, if you want life, and I know you do deep down, you're going to have to allow me to cut away what is death so that I can birth what is life. And that's the work of the same Spirit that landed on these people. When the people heard this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? That's a version of what we hear in Access. People don't know necessarily to say that exact phrase, but it's a version of what we hear every single time. What do I do? I- I just showed up at church and a bomb just went off in my heart. What do I do? I just showed up at church and I just got stabbed. What do I do? I just showed up at church and I think like, I just got heart surgery. What do I do? I don't even know who Jesus is fully. I'm not even sure the next step for me, but whenever the gospel lands and the word of God lands empowered by the spirit of God, there is a question ringing in the hearts of people. And the question is, what do I do now? It's not, oh, that was nice. Oh, that was good. Oh, I like that. Oh, I, I'm gonna tweet that. Oh. I took some good notes on that. I even illustrated my notes. I even you know, drew some really cool calligraphy notes. I mean, it's really amazing what just happened. Now, that all is good. But at the end of it all, there's a question hanging in the balance for all of us going, wow, God has spoken. He's Lord in Christ. What do I do? What do I do? And Peter had an answer powered by the Holy Spirit. He said, I'll tell you what you do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. I love the boldness of this message. This Jesus you crucified, he's Lord in Christ. What do you do? Every one of you, every one of you repent. Don't you love that? I mean, wouldn't you love it? We got into that zone here a little more often. Bring somebody in, put a big tent up over the building. I'm talking about every one of you is gonna repent. Every one of you is gonna repent. We're gonna start over here and we're gonna stay here until every one of you repents and is baptized. And that's going to take about three days. (laughs) So call your boss, send a note to somebody, because we're about to have church right here. And church is comprised of not just simply agreeing, not simply amening, not simply believing, but repenting. Why? Because Jesus is Lord in Christ. So you don't just accept Lord in Christ, you repent before Lord in Christ. What does that mean? It means you turn, you just say, you know what? This is not working, this is an idol, that was me doing that, that's foolish, that's stupid, this is bringing death, that's killing me, that's opposite of you, I'm gonna turn away from all that and I'm gonna turn to you and I'm gonna be baptized right here, right now. What does that mean? It means I wanna say right now, the old, that's gone, the new has come, I see it, I get it. I believe it, and I'm yielding to Lord and Christ in my life. So I just want to say today, this is just a little sidebar, but repent, all of you and me. And if you haven't been baptized and you know Jesus, be baptized. I mean, it'll break our system around here, but don't let that stand in the way of your obedience to God because again it's not a la carte it's not well you know what I never was baptized but it was a long time ago and I don't know about the whole thing and I feel nervous and I really don't have time to do that right now and I got a good relationship with God God gives us the terms of how we respond to him and the terms are turn away from whatever it is that you're clinging to to give you life hope and salvation and turn to God and be baptized so that you can declare to the world right away old is gone new has come and And when you repent and when you are baptized, when you take those steps of obedience, here's what's going to happen. You in that moment, he says, well, every one of you, you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's a very important part of this whole response time, by the way. Everything that's happening in salvation, it's all happening in the name of Jesus Christ. And here's what you're going to get. You're going to get the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You're like, well, I don't know if I'm really feeling and operating in the power of the Spirit. Well, have you repented? I've never really felt the Holy Spirit like, you know, like I know he's in my life. He's supplying me with power. I'm trusting, leaning, depending, and he's doing it. Well, have you ever been baptized? No, I never went, never did that. Well, if you can't obey God and I can't obey God in step one, how are we going to ask God's spirit to come in and give us supernatural power 45 steps down the road? Again, it's not a la carte and Peter's just telling them straight up front. Hey, if you feel cut to the heart, I'll tell you how it's going to work. Here's how it works. You repent, you turn and you're baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And that's what you're going to get. And you're going to get the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then you're going to join this thing you see happening right here, which is Spirit arriving, empowering people to proclaim Jesus to the world. With many other words, verse 40, he warned them and he pleaded with them. I love that. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So, what happened? Those who accepted his message were baptized. <laughs> And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I'm thinking what you're thinking. What would it look like if God moved in such power that every person in this gathering was cut to the heart and repented of their sin? I mean, boom, right here. And people who weren't baptized said, I I want to be baptized. Well, we're doing baptism on, you know, August the 10th. No, I need to be baptized. Like right now, I need to say to the world right now that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. And I want to know forgiveness and I want to know the gift of the Spirit. And not a few people put a light bulb in, but... Hundreds of people said, I'm turning and I'm changing. And the Spirit of God, the conviction of God, was so in and on people that hundreds of people, thousands of people were turning to Jesus. This is what we're all hoping for and praying for. And this is the outcome of Acts. The Spirit arrives, the gospel is preached. And when the gospel is preached, two things always happen conversion happens when the gospel is preached, it always happens when the gospel is preached. And community immediately happens when the gospel is preached. So again, it's not a la carte. You don't get saved and say, well, I got saved. And then you go on your way. You get saved and then you assimilate into the community of the family of God. And that's what he describes in verse 42. Now, this isn't immediate. You realize he's writing this. decades past the resurrection of Jesus, Luke is writing this as a account of what happened in those days to his friend Theophilus. And so he's looking back and he said, and let me tell you from that day on, this is what it looked like. They devoted themselves, this three thousand. First, we had 120 in, in the first chapter, and now we're up to 3,120 on day one of the church. Thank you very much. Mega church, boom, day one, 3,120 people, high attendance Sunday on the first day. Tweet about it. We had 3,000 people saved today. Instagram, that. First day we met, gospel was proclaimed in Holy Spirit power. And 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus and got baptized. So we got people going off to the, every pool in Jerusalem getting baptized. We got mass baptisms happening all over the city because they didn't have a baptism right there when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. So they're finding water everywhere they can find it. They devoted themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were being done by the apostles. All the believers, can you say that? All the believers. Can we say that? All the believers. Can we say it again? All the believers were together. All the believers. We're together. Why? Because when the gospel is preached, conversion happens and community is birthed. So they were all together. This is how you have 3,000 people get saved on day one and you make it because everyone weaves their lives together. How, how, how could they meet all the needs of 3,000 people? Well, how did they follow up on all the 3,000 people? I mean, what kind of follow-up did they have? Did they get them in small groups? Did they disciple all of them? Did they raise them up? What kind of materials did they have? What, what kind of process? How, how did they do that on day one? I, mean, I saw the 3,000 people, but did they all really get saved? And what happened to all the people? What happened to all the people was, was that they wove their lives together. And life by life together, they all started following Jesus. And that's still the plan. Even in this day, all the believers were together and they had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number. This is so beautiful. Daily, those who were being saved. So this is our picture. So when we're having block parties this week, you're like, oh, block parties, great. Backpacks, great. Community groups happen. Summer in the city for college kids. The Grove is throwing a summer party. Oh, it's all a la carte to you and me. Oh, community group block party, I might go to that. Oh, no, we're not really around this week. Oh, the church is journeying through Acts this summer. Great, we'll be at four of those for sure. And what God is trying to show us is that when the gospel blows up in our hearts and is proclaimed to people, the Acts results are conversion happens and community is formed. We, we're day one. We're day one. Power, proclamation, salvation, church. Day one, power comes. Proclamation happens. Salvation happens. And church happens. Church isn't an afterthought to God. Church isn't a footnote in the story. Church isn't the invention of men. Church isn't something that people decided to do. Church isn't an institution that man invented. Day one, Holy Spirit said, I want a church for my Lord Jesus. Day one, the Holy Spirit said, I'm here to exalt Jesus, and he's here to build a church, and we're here to give glory to God. We are God. We're three God's in one, a community of God's in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But here's how it works in our economy. I, the Spirit, lift up Jesus through people to point the world to Him. I, the Spirit, empower the church to lift up Jesus. Jesus lives the life in and through people to bring glory to our Father. And all of us work together to lift up the one true God. And from the day that it all began, from the very first moment, it with spirit empowering people to proclaim the story so that people could be baptized in Jesus name so that the church could be born knitted together woven together all of them together sharing everything in common in the temple courts worshiping God in homes breaking bread praising God selling their possessions when they knew a need arose in the life of someone else they didn't say to the church hey go meet their need they said the Robertsons are having a struggle right now but don't you worry, we got it. Eight other families know what's going on and we took care of it on day one because this is what the church does. We lean in together, we do life together, we commit together and we prioritize together the building up of the body of Christ. And if that sounds pastoral, it is because everybody's got a reason for why you can't lean in more. But what the Spirit of God does in our lives is the Spirit of God gives us an overwhelming and an all consuming connection. And the things that fall off the edges of our life are not the church, it's the other stuff. And so we're just supposed to band together, meet together, pray together every day, every night, small group every night, Bible study every night, discipleship every night, come to church and worship every night. We just band together, it's just us. No, they had favor with all the people. They were influencers (laughs) and they were tight. And I believe they were both because they were both. You don't have great influence without having a home base to be rooted in and sent from. And if you're rooted in, you're gonna be sent from. And as we come together and form a tight-knit community, guess what? That's going to not gather us around a campfire. It's going to light us up as arrows shot to the world.